Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Oddsmaker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we go against the spread on this post-Thanksgiving Day show, getting ready for the college football conference championship games and the NFL football games on tap as well. And with it, I'm going to welcome our co-host, Victor King from King Creole Sports. And Victor, first of all, before we get into the show, I'm going to hope that you and your family had a very happy Thanksgiving. We certainly did, and uh, we hope that uh, you and your family did as well, Mark. Uh, it looks like in terms of the football results, it was a pretty good period as well. I know that we ended up going 7-3 and three in that four-day period with our over-unders, and that was, of course, NFL over-unders, college football over-unders, and NBA over-unders. So that high-volume period, 7-3, and three, will certainly take that record, and I think another guy who could be satisfied with the weekend results is yourself. It looks like your turkey shoot weekend went, I believe, 5-2 and two with your college football selections. And, of course, that was highlighted with the 10-star game of the year, Ohio State Buckeyes, plus the points at home against uh, Michigan, a, uh, a game in which the ATS result was never in doubt. So it, definitely a great call and definitely a game worthy of a 10-star dominating game of the year with an exclamation point behind it. Well, thank you, Victor. Yes, it was a nice Thanksgiving, and the Buckeyes helped that cause as well, if you will, on Saturday with that big win over the Michigan Wolverines. In fact, they put themselves now into position, if you will, to barge into the college football playoff talk. I know the new college football playoff rankings came out this week, and they're sitting at uh, right now number six just behind Oklahoma in the polls, which will create a lot of controversy for the talking heads this particular week. There are cases to be made for both teams as to whether or not they can move into that number five slot uh, or could have moved into the five slot and then maybe moved up when Georgia loses to Alabama and find a berth in the college football playoffs. But the wrinkle in that argument, Victor, my contention is what happens if Georgia beats Alabama, then I think Ohio State and Oklahoma, that talk is moot. It doesn't matter because I think Alabama would likely fall to number four in the playoff rankings and both the Sooners and the Buckeyes would be out of the polls. Your thought, Victor, on where these teams stand as we go into this penultimate week of the college football rankings. I'm having a problem these days grasping the significance of even playing a conference championship. We've seen numerous instances where uh, teams who did not even make their conference championship made it to the Final Four, where teams who won their conference championship did not make it to the Final Four, and even in Alabama's case, teams that lose their conference championship somehow make it into the Final Four. So to me, it's diminishing the value of even having a championship game in the first place. It really is. If Pitt beats Clemson in the ACC championship, are they going to the Final Four? No. If Clemson loses, will they stay in the Final Four? Probably yes. Uh, Pac-12 conference, it doesn't matter who wins the game. Neither one is going to make it to the Final Four. If Texas beats Oklahoma in the Big 12, they won't make it to the Final Four. So, again, I'm having a problem wrapping my head around 
why we're even playing these games, Mark, <laughs> when it could have been when it could have been a really cool first week of an eight to team playoff. Uh, Alabama against UCF, Clemson against Michigan, Notre Dame against Ohio State, Georgia against Oklahoma. Could have been a great week for the beginning of an eight-team playoff. You then give the four victors a couple of weeks off to rest for the real Final Four, but it really could have been a great week to start that eight-team playoff. Well, I think the answer to your question, Victor, is three simple words. Money, money, money. Money, money grab. Exactly right. right. The money grab. You know, television contracts, yada, 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 the whole ball of wax. And in fact, you know, just to uh, confirm or cement your point, last year Alabama did not participate in a conference championship game, and that boded well for them because they made yeah. the playoffs despite not making the playoffs. Georgia's reward for making the playoffs is that they could lose this game and not go into the college football playoffs. So, you know, there's cases to be said for and against college football conference championship games unquestionably, uh, you know, but the bottom line here is is that uh, they're going to determine a lot of this fate will be determined here. I'm with you. I, I look for expanding the playoffs, and my vote would be for a six-team playoff rather than an eight-team, and the six-team being just simply the fact that with two more teams – you could give the number one and number two seeds buys and let the other guys duke it out yeah. next week, and then you know bring the bring, bring the top two seeds rested uh, with a little bit of an advantage that way moving forward in the playoffs. And one other quick note, I'm going to throw it, yeah, Victor here, and this is in regards to the college football playoff situation in scene as it is today. You've got a team in Central Florida who could conceivably go undefeated for the second consecutive year in a row and not have a chance to play for a championship and you know while they're never going to barge into this current college football playoff structure the way that it is right now because it's set up and designed for power five conference teams my take on this whole thing is let's set up a uh, group of five championship playoff as well let these group of five teams select your top four teams and let them do the same thing as the power five teams are so you'd have two conference champion or two college championship playoffs going on concurrently the power five group and the non-power five group it would give teams like central florida and uh you know the other powerful group of five teams something to play and strive for all football season long there what, what is better than to have two if you will mm -hmm. college football playoffs rather than one going on if they if they can't expand the playoffs at least give these these guys that are in the group of five, a chance to play for something, to play for a title and play for a championship. But that's probably an argument, you know, for another day. But I think uh, don't be surprised if you see something like this coming along down the road where they do set up a tournament, if you will, or a playoff for the non-Power 5 teams, uh, the group of five teams, if you will. We're going to talk with Andy Isco about this a little bit on the show, too. I'm going to bring the point up that this is actually not a college football playoff. Andy says that it is indeed a college football invitational tournament is what it really is uh, because there aren't anything to do with playoffs and teams right now. It's just an invitational tournament. You get an invite, you come, you play, and we'll see what happens. So, uh, it, it, interestingly, nonetheless, the case is what it is. I think another interesting point here, Victor, is that what happened last week in the Notre Dame-Southern Cal football game when Notre Dame allowed Southern Cal to score and open the back door up very late in that football game, it created a 
$2 million swing, that score, in just alone at William Hill's books in the state of Nevada, wow. let alone elsewhere, all around the country where legalized wagering takes place in back east. Uh, so you can imagine if it was just $2 million to William Hill in that football game, what it might have meant uh, on a global on a global reach, you know, that could have well been a $50 million swing that score by Notre Dame or the, the Notre Dame allowing Southern Cal to get in the back door of that football game. That was a huge monumental swing. But bottom line here is Notre Dame will be one of the four teams we'll be talking about next week as they make it into the college football playoffs. And, you know, with all of that going on now, Victor, there have been, uh, as expected, and there are going to be a lot more coming here a bevy of coaching changes that are taking place right now. And we're going to see a whole lot more at the end of the football season here. But in that regard, I think there are some college football head coaches out there that are playing right now, coaching at a non power five team in amongst the group of five teams that I think are ready to make their move to be hired, to move up into the power five conferences. And if you will, how about you and I sharing some thoughts with our listeners out there about sure. a handful of these coaches who I think are deserving, these power five, these uh, group of five coaches that I think are ready for power five schools. And I'm gonna, I'll kick it off if we will. Uh, my first nominee is Seth Luttrell, the head coach from North Texas, who has done nothing but good things since he's taken over this struggling football program. Uh, if you take a look at North Texas, this team, uh, as he came aboard, he's in his uh, third year with the football program. When he came aboard, they were a one-win football team. They won nine games last year. They're going bowling again this football season here. And they also, Victor, happen to be the answer to the bar question of the week. If you want to ask anybody in a bar, you want to guarantee yourself a free drink, there are two teams in college football this year that have outgained, outyarded every opponent they played. One is Alabama. The other is... North Texas. Wow. The only other only other team to do just that. That's Scott Luttrell, North Texas. He'd be my first nominee to step up from the group of five into a power five conference. Your take, Victor, on another coach that you have your eyes on. Let me throw out two guys with a little slash. Number one, of course, being we've mentioned numerous times on the show how uh, Matt Campbell, a Northeastern Ohio native, has done with Iowa State, uh, seven and four record straight up this season. So there is a guy that's ready to make it to a big program. And since I'm on the subject kind of of Toledo, let me throw out Jason Candle. You know, Toledo's gone in-house with young offensive coaches for each of their last two hires. Both have worked out splendidly. Candle succeeded Matt Campbell after the 2015 season. They're part of that uh, Mountain Union, Ohio coaching pipeline. And he's already kind of drawn interest from programs like UCF and Mississippi State, and he could very soon follow Campbell's path to a bigger opportunity. Yeah, Candles won 27 games in his three years there, and he rallied this football team this year. They got out to that miserable start, but they closed out 4-1. and one. I agree with you, Victor. I think Candle should be on the watch list. Another coach that I would nominate uh, from another small school ready to take a big step up would be Neil Brown from Troy. This is a Troy football program that recruits they're the third kid in the state of Alabama. They recruit the players behind Alabama and Auburn, so they get slim pickings. But the kids that come to Troy come with a big, huge chip on their shoulder. And Neil Brown has really capitalized on that. He inherited a three-win team. He went won four games his first year. But his football teams have won double-digit 
uh, games each of the last three years in a row. Hence, Neil Brown ready for, I think, a move into the Southeast Conference. Anybody else you have, Victor, on your list? Let me go to the Volunteer State and suggest a guy like Mike Norvell from Memphis. You know, there's suddenly, this is the hotbed for the dynamic young offensive coaches. Norvell followed uh, both Fuente and he led Memphis to that ACC West Division title. Excuse me, AAC. Uh, they're playing again this week against Central Florida as well. Four years as Arizona State offensive coordinator. He's uh, taken an accelerated path. You know, he didn't land one of those uh, SEC openings in the region last cycle. He instead decided to sign a nice extension with Memphis. But he uh, seems like a lock for a Power 5 job pretty soon, Mark. Uh, who do you got in mind for next up? Well, that was going to be my next up was going to be Mike Norvell, but I, and I agree 100% with you. I think he's the guy that's uh, sitting right now in a, in a great position to do just that. Uh, you know, I look around the landscape and, uh, you know, those were my top three guys that I would have uh, picked and had ready to go. And I'm sure there are other deserving coaches here. Josh Heupel at Central Florida. I'm going to throw his name out there. I know he's only got yeah. one year under, under his belt, okay? But my goodness, give him kudos for what he did. He inherited a perfect team, a team that didn't lose a game last year. Those are big shoes to have to fill. And what did he do? He come back and didn't lose a game again this year. So obviously Josh Heupel has some coaching pedigree. He would be my third nominee on this list. Anybody else you've got, Victor, before we swing over to the National Football League side of things? What about a guy that has a pedigree as a former defensive coordinator at Ohio State, Luke Fickle of Cincinnati? You there know, you he go. was also the, the interim coach during that transition season between Tressel and Urban Meyer, uh, second season now at Cincinnati, uh, if and when a potential Big Ten job opens up, he could get a long look, Mark. And also, I submit a guy out west. What about uh, Brian Harson from uh, Boise State? Now, it might be tough to pry him away. It's as you know, sweet as a gig as there is. But I'm sure that he'll not reject repeated overtures like Chris Peterson did for all of those years. And if a power five gig opens, he would be a very attractive candidate. Yeah, probably to a Pac-12 type of school. He might fit in yeah. perfectly there as well, like you mentioned, like Chris Peterson. So keep yeah. those thoughts in mind, guys, and we're talking about head coach signings. There will be firings and there will be hirings, and some of these hirings might well come from this group that Victor and I just talked about, making their move up the ladder into a big power five conference football job. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And Victor, let's move it over to the National Football League side of things, where the playoff picture is getting really, really close right now these days. What we find in the playoff picture, before I hand it off to you up for an update of what's happening in the world of the, of the National Football League from a point spread and over-under total perspective, we find the two number one seeds, number one and number two seeds, both being Kansas City, New England, right now out of the AFC New Orleans and the Rams, number one and two in the NFC. The other four teams that would be in the playoffs this weekend, if the playoffs were to start, would be Houston, Pittsburgh, the Chargers, and Baltimore out of the AFC. While on the NFC side of things, the Chicago Bears would have the number three seed. The upstart Dallas Cowboys would be in the number four slot, followed by Minnesota and the Washington Redskins, who are kind of like teetering right now going into this particular weekend. But, Victor, your take on what we've seen so far in the National Football League this season. It's kind of weird that, uh, you know, New England is back in that, uh, what, number two seat, I believe, right now in the AFC. And that means a first-round bye, and it means uh, home throughout the playoffs 
unless, of course, they play uh, Kansas City. And that's based on the current records right now. I know each team still has, what, five more games to play. But it's kind of weird that that first game of the season tie could cost the Pittsburgh Steelers that second seed in the AFC when they tied the Browns in week one. Right now, they're 7-3-1. and one. They're looking up very, very slightly at a Houston team that's 8-3 and three and uh, playing very hot at a New England team that's 8-3 and three as well. You mentioned the NFC East. It doesn't look like uh, any team is really looking good out of that. Naturally, one team will be in the playoffs, but only one team. Uh, it could very well be Dallas playing well lately. With that said, however... Take a look at Dallas's strength of schedule, and it hasn't been very, very impressive at all. Uh, they have not uh, beaten any great teams at all this season. So it's uh, still going to be head-scratching time to determine who's going to win that division. Of course, it looks like we've got uh, Washington-Philly, the Monday night game, will play a big part. And, of course, the Thursday night game, when Dallas hosts the hot uh, New Orleans Saints, will play a big part in who wins that NFC East. Talking about that, Victor, about this playoff picture, and as it's evolving here, our good friend Steve Crabb, the Texas Tornado, who fills us in on a lot of good handicapping information and slants, sent us an email this week, and it was pretty intuitive, if you will, uh, in that all six of the top ten, or the six top six ranked teams defensively in the National Football League all won the money last week. And his point of contention is, and I agree wholeheartedly, is that we're at the time of the year right now in December when defense wins football games, and it wins football games from this point on forward all the way through the playoffs, through the Super Bowl. So last week, no surprise to find the top six-ranked teams in the National Football League all cash tickets last week. And one other note inside of Steve's uh, email to us, Victor, was the fact that uh, in looking for edges in handicapping these games, one of his favorite strategies is to look for teams that rush the ball for 30 or more attempts a game and are playing opponents that rush the ball for 22 or less opponents a game. That went a perfect 5-0 and last week. And you can keep an eye on that factor as well, because if you control the line of scrimmage in the National Football League, even in this day of the passing era that we're living in here, you control the line of scrimmage, you're going to control the football game. You're going to also keep your defense rested and not on the field continuously. And you have nothing better than a well-rested defense in this late stage of the football season here. Victor, I don't know if you saw Steve's note, but some pretty good sage advice there as well. Uh, definitely some sage advice. Uh, in terms of our review, Mark, it was not a good week for the dogs in the NFL. We're going to check with uh, Andy when we talk to him during his segment. I'm going to submit to you that it was probably one of the worst weeks of the season overall for the books as favorites went 9-5 and five ATS. On the season, dogs are still coming in at a, a decent percentage. 85, 76, and 8 are the numbers I have. Still the best is off a win. of thir- uh, Off a win, they've gone 37, 25, and 1 ATS. And dogs off a dog win. That's been a good one this season. 15, 7, and 1 ATS. One team qualifies this week, the Buffalo Bills. But the reason I think that it was a good uh, week for some of the squarer players out there and not a good week for the books, A, the fact that the favorites, once again on Thanksgiving Day, went a perfect 3-0 ATS, and that's got to be a killer for the sportsbooks out there. When the favorites continue to cover, that would be Chicago, that would be Dallas, that would be New Orleans. Not only that, 
but the favorites went 3-0 and ATS this week in the primetime games. The Saints game I just talked about on uh, Sunday night when the Vikings beat the Packers by 7, and even on Monday night when Houston crushed Tennessee 34-17. to A big week for favorites on Turkey Day and in the primetime as well, Mark. Yeah, to say the least, those Thanksgiving Day dinners did not go down well for the sports books operators in yep. Nevada over the weekend, but, you know, to their, uh, I guess a little bit of, uh, pleasure is the fact that, as we mentioned earlier, Notre Dame did not cash that ticket against Southern Cal. And that would have been another huge loss for the bookmakers there because everybody in the betting public was all over the Irish in that football game. Hey, don't go away guys. And we come back, Victor and I, we're going to tear down our college football game over the week. One of our college conference championship games. We've got that and a whole lot more on tap. We're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. If your goal is to become a winner at sports wagering, then the all-new Sports Data University is just for you. You can learn responsible sports wagering in live classes and free courses from the world's sharpest sports wagering instructors, such as Mark Lawrence, Victor King, Andy Isco, and an array of other top experts. Join live classes and ask questions you want answers to. Listen, learn, and watch at Sports Data University. Visit today at sportsdata.com. That's Sports Data University, located at sportsdata.com. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence, along with Victor King, as we go against the spread this week's college and pro football cards and it's college conference championship week this week and with that our college football game of the week we're going to go into the big 12 conference in a red river rivalry rematch that's a tough one (laughs) when texas takes on oklahoma victor your take on round two of the longhorns and the sooners this saturday I'm not even going to try that. So that's for sure. The, you <laughs> yeah, know, this might be, what got me. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm right. Sorry. The Big 12 title game here, they, it, it could very well be the biggest in the history of the conference. I say that because, you know, who would have predicted uh, way back then that Texas and Oklahoma would beat a second time in the same season? Something that hasn't happened in 115 years with the Big 12 championship on the line. And, you know, part of what makes this rivalry so unique are those atmospheric conditions at the Cotton Bowl every October. It's a neutral site. The State Fair of Texas is your backdrop. Both teams share one tunnel. Uh, the team's fans are split literally in half right at the 50-yard line. But that's the Red River Showdown. Saturday's meeting, it's at Jerry's World, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. That's just about 30 minutes west of the Cotton Bowl. It's going to be a little bit different because uh, these two teams haven't played outside the city of Dallas since 1923 when the Longhorns hosted the Sooners in Austin. So we'll definitely see what happens. And to me, the key to this game, the key to the entire game, probably from an ATS perspective and an over-under, is Texas quarterback Sam uh, Ellinger and his health, uh, his throwing shoulder. Uh, Texas coach Tom Herman admitted Monday that his throwing shoulder was still not great. He was kind of shaky throwing the ball at times during that uh, win on Friday over Kansas. After the game, he said it got aggravated again. It really has not been fully healthy since the Baylor game way back on October 13th when he had a first-degree AC sprain on the opening drive of that game. He re-injured it 
on November 17th, five weeks later against Iowa State. Both injuries knocked him out of the game. So that is going to be the key. I'll say this. When we were uh, going online on Tuesday, yesterday, and looking for potential injury reports, he did say that he has felt better than he has since the original injury. And he also said that the eight-day stretch playing on a Friday and then not playing again until the following Saturday will give it a little more time, a little more rest to heal. And he's going to need that, that's for sure. The over-under line in the game opened at 78. And as we record the podcast here on Wednesday morning, Mark, it's still uh, rock solid right at 78. Now, on the season... Oklahoma is all about the over. They're the best over team in college football this season. 11 overs, one under all season long. Their only game that went under was that home game against Army, a team who runs the ball on every play. So that kind of makes sense. However, they've gone over in every other game this season. Their average over-under line, 67.8. Average score, 83.1. That means the average Oklahoma game, in addition to going 11-1 and on the season, has gone over the total by more than two touchdowns, by plus 15.3 points per game. They're, what, cranking out 50 points per game uh, on offense, allowing 32.8 per game on offense, on defense, excuse me, and that's even gotten worse in the last four games. Oklahoma, 56 of points allowed against West Virginia, 40 against Kansas, that's surprising. Three weeks ago, 47 against Oklahoma State, Four weeks ago, 46 against Texas Tech. So this is a team that uh, is not doing well on defense. They're pretty much an automatic team when it comes to offense, that is for sure. On the Texas side, they're basically split right down the middle. The Longhorn 6-6 over under on the season. Their average line, 54.8. Average score, 56.8. Their average game has gone over by just two points on the season. Of course, it's a high-scoring series. Six and three over-under in the last nine meetings between these two teams. And, of course, that includes the earlier meeting this season when Texas won, <clears throat> excuse me, 48 to 45. There were 93 points scored in the game. It went over by 33 points. In regards to the series, the average line has been 57 Average score, 65.4. So even the margin in the series has been good, plus 8.4 points per game. I think you know where we're going in this one, and it's going to be either play the over or lay off when it comes to the total. There's no reason to think that both teams, not just one, will score 40 or more in this game. When an over-under line is as high as this one, it can't just be all about one team doing the heavy lifting. you got to get points out of both teams. And I believe we'll get it in this game, Mark. Somewhere, final score, I think it's going to be a little closer than people think. 45 to 42, 44 to 42. Either way, we're going to be going over in this game. And in terms of the side play, I think I know where you're going, particularly if Texas coach Tom Herman is an underdog in this game. Well, with Tom Herman being the underdog in this game, Victor, you know exactly where we're going for our side in the contest here. I realize that it is Oklahoma same season loss revenge, and the Sooners themselves have been okay in revenge, not terrific, and especially in this series, Oklahoma has struggled when they've had revenge against the Texas Longhorns. Since 1990, when Oklahoma is playing with that revenge chip on their shoulder, 
They're just 6-7-1 and one straight up in those 14 games, cashing only the three times against the spread when playing with revenge against Texas in this series since 1990. And in fact, in those games, when Oklahoma came in with that revenge chip and was not undefeated, they went 0-8-1 against the spread. So just because it's revenge is not a given for the Oklahoma Sooners in this football game. This is the ninth time Oklahoma will be playing in a Big 12 championship game. They are 7-1 and one straight up and against the spread their previous eight Big 12 title games. So they've really been able to put on a show in the past in these particular events. They're coming into the football game with four consecutive wins in a row in which they've allowed 40 or more points in a football game. That's mind-boggling. And in fact, I put this through the database here to find out what happens to football teams that allow 40 or more points in a football game and win the game. The next game, after doing just that, these teams are 36 and 136 straight up in their next contest. Oklahoma has been defying the odds with this powerful offense that they have in this lack of defense. Texas comes in here making their sixth Big 12 championship game appearance. They're just one and three straight up their last four games inside uh, this Big 12 title game. They've dominated Oklahoma of late 6-0 and against the spread in the series. And they're also 6-1 and to the spread as single-digit dogs. We talked about Tom Herman being a dog. How about 12-1 and against the spread in his career, including a perfect 7-0 as a dog of seven or more points? And with that being the case about Texas, the under single-digit underdog, we're going to make a case for Texas in this football game behind Tom Herman, who is outstanding in his career, 12-1 and against the spread when taking points. And in fact, a perfect 7-0 and against the spread when taking seven or more points for Tom Herman in his career. And by the way, guys, Texas is one of three teams playing on this week's College Conference Championship card this week that fits into a 100% perfect awesome angle that we've outlined in the Playbook Football Newsletter this week. Check out the newsletter to find out who those two other teams are. So put us down for Texas for my side in this big Red River rivalry rematch, if you will. I got it in, Victor, the Red River <laughs> rivalry rematch <laughs> in this football game. Hey, don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to tear down our NFL game of the week. We've got a beauty on tap between two playoff teams. And we'll hop out to Las Vegas to check in with the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. All new Playbooks tokens are here. Only at Playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbooks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbooks tokens, you can use them for Playbook Experts picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbooks tokens, do so now. Simply visit Playbook.com and click on the Tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all-new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at Playbook.com. The only football newsletter in America devoted exclusively to NFL over-under totals. The Totals Tip Sheet is a must-read if you're serious about adding extra income to your bankroll this football season. Get exclusive insight on the overs and unders from Victor King, the NFL Totals Guru, at Playbook.com. The Totals Tip Sheet has got you totally covered this football season. It's the best reference source of its kind in the nation. Get your Totals Tip Sheet today at Playbook.com and enjoy the winners. 
Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we're going against the spread in this week's college and pro football cards. And it's time for our NFL game of the week and a beauty on tap this week. In fact, some say it might be a potential Super Bowl preview when the Minnesota Vikings travel to Foxborough to take on the Patriots in New England. Victor, your take on the Vikings and the Patriots this Sunday. This is one of the uh, four games for the late afternoon kickoffs with the Vikings and Patriots. The over-under line opened at 48 and a half and through, oh, about 48 hours, it still has not moved pretty rock solid right there at 48 and a half. Now, I think that's significant. Despite the fact that the line hasn't moved, I think that's significant. What I'm seeing is that there's anywhere from 85 to 90% of the early bets on the over in this game, and yet the line hasn't moved. So is that revealing? Is that significant? Yes, it is. What it potentially means is that the sharp whale money on the under is kind of canceling out the volume of the bets on the over. And I'm with the sharps in this one, and I think New England goes under the total for their fifth consecutive game in a row. On the season, Minnesota 5-6 and six over under, New England 4-7 and seven over under. However, you know, we do live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world, and Minnesota uh, defense coming on strong in the month of November. They've gone 1-3 and three over under in their last four games with an average margin of minus 6.0 points per game. And like I just mentioned, the Patriots are on a four-game under streak. They have not done that since way back in the early 2000s. 0-4 over under last four, average margin minus 7.8 points per game. This is a series that, yeah, I know they only play each other, what, one every four seasons, but five of the last six meetings have gone under the total Average combined point total, only 39.5. And again, we're going low in this game with that Patriots team that has gone under in each of the last four games. Uh, One of the database things that really has me enthusiastic about this game is the fact that the Patriots are off that division road win last week against the New York Jets. A game that did go under the total. I believe we mentioned that as our free play last week. Jets-Patriots under the total. And this is a situation where in the last two seasons, NFL teams off a straight-up and ATS division road favorite win that also went under the total have gone 1-15 and 15 over-under. That's only one over. Wow. And 15 unders. The Patriots qualify in that particular situation and in fact there's even another team this week that qualifies in that situation that we're going to mention for our free play a little bit deeper into the show either way it tells us that the under is the way to go in the next game now in their last two weeks New England has won by 14 points against the Jets and they've lost by 17 points against Tennessee both of those games being on the road in our database uh, the numbers are small sample size small but significant nevertheless, 0-6 over-under last five years. NFL teams off a road win of 14 or more and a road loss of 14 or less in their last two games. On the flip side, Minnesota's off their second straight Sunday night game in a row. Uh, since 2003, NFL teams have gone 2-14 and over-under if they're road underdogs of a field goal or more, 
and they're off a Sunday night division home game like the Vikings are. Under betters, uh, you got to love the fact that Minnesota's 10th-ranked defense is rounding back into form. Only 255 yards per game allowed and only 17 points per game allowed in their last three games, all division affairs. And New England's 11th-ranked defense has allowed only 17.5 points per game in their last four games. Make sure your over-under line in this game is 48-and-a-half or more. I say that because 47 and 48 are key numbers in the NFL, and you want to be able to cash a winner uh, in that scenario if the game does finish on one of those two numbers. So your target line is 48-and-a-half, and we're going under with the Patriots hosting the Vikings in the late afternoon kickoffs. Victor, with that big 1-15 stat to support the under, goes under the 48-and-a-half in the Vikings-Patriots game on Sunday for his side in the football game. For the Minnesota Vikings, they come in currently, as I mentioned on the show at the start, the number five seed in the NFC playoff picture here. Good news for the Vikings is they've won seven of the last eight times to the money when they've been on the road at AFC sites. The downside is the quarterback matchup, which weighs heavily in Tom Brady's favor here, given the fact that Kirk Cousins in his career in the month of December is only one and five against the spread when coming off a division game. The Vikings themselves come off three straight division games in a row. And the reason I mention that is Minnesota has not fared well in the, this particular situation when they've been coming off three consecutive division games in a row and they find themselves taking on an opponent that comes in off a win a winning opponent that comes in off a win. They're just one in five straight up and against the spread in this particular role, the Minnesota Vikings. The New England Patriots come in as the number two seed out of the AFC right now, currently, as this weekend begins. Good news for the Patriots coming in this weekend here, 11 and one to the spread when they're coming off a division game, playing an opponent also off a division game. Tom Brady has been terrific in his NFL career in games against Sub-700 NFC opponents. In the regular season, Brady is 41-7 straight up in his career and 30-17-1 and to the spread. This is Tom Brady time, folks. The month of December, Tom Brady in the month of December when he takes on teams that are off back-to-back wins. It's like a tune-up for the Super Bowl for Tom Brady. In his career, he is 19-3 and straight up, 17-4-1 and against the spread in this role that he'll be hosting the Minnesota Vikings in on Sunday. And with that, while I would normally be all over Mike Zimmer as a dog in a non-division game, not this Sunday, I'll be backing Tom Brady and the New England Patriots when they host the Vikings in this NFL football showdown on Sunday. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, it's time to hop out to Las Vegas for one of our favorite segments in the show as we get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, the first question I have to ask of you on the show this week is how many times did you go back for pumpkin pie last Thursday? I ran out of fingers and toes trying to count that number. <laughs> well, being being a numbers guy, I kind of thought maybe you'd have it down pat, but we, it tells me that the over was the play. <laughs> Actually, if you want to be technical, uh, I would say uh, uh, 2.125, uh, two full pies and one slice. Well, there you go, 2.125. That's a pie number <laughs> from Andy Isco. <laughs> I was on the over. 
Uh, and the over joining us from Las cash, Vegas and Andy. Cash all tickets. Do not hold. Cash all tickets. <laughs> so Andy, it sounds like he enjoyed his Thanksgiving Thursday as well. And uh, as Andy does each and every week here, uh, before we get into a review of what's going on in Las Vegas as far as the contests go and <clears throat> some current line movements here. Andy, I noticed in your newsletter this week, one of the comments you made, and Victor and I talked about this, we hit on a little bit earlier on in the show, was the fact that uh, in one of your Howard Cosell quotes, you mentioned that uh, let's tell it like it is. And when we're talking about the college football playoffs being underway or soon to be underway next week, and uh, your comment that uh, this is actually not a college football playoff scenario, it is in fact a college football invitation invitational tournament, if you will. And if you would explain to our listeners what you mean by that, it being an invitational tournament as opposed to a college football playoff. Well, a playoff is normally something that is designed to determine based upon performance on the field of play, winning your division, such as in the NFL or the NBA or the other major sports, uh, Major League Baseball, you play off amongst the various winners to determine uh, who is the best of those winners. You can extend it a little bit to say even in the NCAA tournament, it's a tournament uh, in fact, I'll say it's a difference between a tournament and a playoff. A playoff, you're playing something off to, let's say, break a tie or something as to who is the best. A tournament is a is a, essentially an invitational plus a playoff. In other words, in the NCAA tournament, you have the automatic qualifiers, but then you have invitations sent out to deserving at-large teams. There's a combination of opinion, who gets the invites, and determination by the facts based upon the field of play, the automatic qualifiers. Well, in the uh, NCAA double-A college football playoff, let's go back a little bit to the old BCS era where you had all the bowl games and at the end of the bowl games, uh, you know, right January 2nd, January 3rd, whenever those uh, final few bowls were played, okay, that was the end of the season. The idea was floated for a number of years. Why not have this plus one concept? It's not really a playoff, but it's an ability after all the bowls are played to take what we consider to be the two most deserving teams and match them for a quote-unquote national champion. Although, again, it would still be mythical, but it was it was an approach that was taken that seemed to have some sort of uh, support behind it. Uh, well, what we have now is basically the same thing. We have a plus one. The only difference being is that the teams are designated as to the winners of two specific bowls. And this, and this year, I believe it's what, the Orange and the Cotton Bowl. The winners of those games will meet in that one game playoff. Well, now, instead of calling it that, they call it a tournament. However, I maintain if you've got five major college uh, conferences, okay, the ACC, the Big Ten, uh, the Big 12, uh, the SEC, and the uh, and was it the ACC or one of the one of the ones that I left out, the Pac-12, I'm sorry, the Pac-12, that how can you have a playoff if at least one of those major conferences is going to be excluded? And in fact, this year, at least two of those major conferences can be excluded because Notre Dame will be in. And there is the strong possibility, according to many, that three of the five major conferences will be uh, excluded because the SEC could get both Georgia and Alabama. So you're looking at Georgia and Alabama from the SEC. You'd be looking at uh, Clemson from the ACC. You'd be looking at Notre Dame and Independent. So the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 will be left out. Their champions do not have an opportunity to play for a national title. Where I'm headed to with all this, and I wish more people would stress the fact, because I think when you hear playoff, people say, oh, good, it's a nice little thing. But when you hear that it's not a playoff, that it's really an invitational, maybe there will be greater public sentiment for that to expand the field to at least eight teams. 
I believe, and I'll be talking about this or writing about it in the next week's issue of the newsletter, that a true playoff would certainly involve the champions of all the FBS conferences. There are 10 of those conferences. You include the Sun Belt and Conference USA, et cetera, et cetera. And you have those 10 spots go to the conference champions, and then you have the other six spots go to what would be considered deserving at-large teams. It's not perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better than what we have now, which itself is somewhat better than what we had in the past. Andy, let me ask you this question here, and I talked with Victor about this at the onset of the show. And uh, do you think it's time that the uh, the gurus of the NCAA recognize the group of five conferences for what they are and set up a similar playoff for the group of five conferences as well? Designate four teams, let them play all season long to do just what the Power Five teams essentially are doing. That's to make the playoffs and have a college football group of five playoffs to enhance uh, what we're currently seeing now is the college football playoff situation or system? Well, it's, it's an interesting concept. And in fact, it would sort of, you know, we, we have the old one double A now the FCS playoffs. Okay. So the smaller schools uh, get their opportunity to determine a champion. In effect, what we have now in a college football is virtually exclusively limited to the Power Five conferences. So yeah, the group of five really have no way of determining uh, a champion amongst those groups of teams that are at the highest level of college football, but really not part of the big party as far as being separated into the group of five versus the uh, Power Five. The problem that you have there is that uh, the problem that you have there is is the TV money involved that I don't know that there would be that much interest in a group of five uh, tournament while you have a major uh, power five tournament going on. Now, some people will say that, yeah, it works at the FCS level. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, I don't know that they get much TV exposure other than during their semifinals and their finals. In, con- in theory, that concept makes great sense. But again, I think a better solution, a fairer solution, I think that one would be more widely accepted would be the one I said before, is that you get a 16-team field uh, whereby, I mean, look, the, the argument that, well, it takes time away, it works for the uh, FCS group. In fact, they actually have a 24-team field. The first uh, uh, 16 of the teams uh, played, I believe it was, uh, last week, and they reduced it to uh, to meeting the uh, uh, the the eight teams that remain. So the eight winners from last week may meet the eight teams that have buys last week. They start the, the their group their eight team field eight team field this weekend, and then it goes you know eight uh, you know so sixteen to eight to uh, uh, to four uh, four to two. In other words, eight games. Four games, two games, championship game. Uh, but the 16-team field where all the major conferences, all the F, uh, uh, FBS conferences are represented. Now, what, and, I, and I, uh, in the newsletter and over the next few weeks, I'll be starting to run a simulation of what that might look like for the 2018 season, taking the conference champions that will be determined this weekend and inviting uh, six at-large teams. You know, basically using some sort of objective criteria, but you know committees are not always objective. And in my case, of course, it'll be a committee of one just to uh, put the simulation together. But at the same time, uh, what it would do is you'd say, okay, you don't think much of the Sun Belt this year? Well, you do like they do in the NCAA uh, basketball tournament. You give the Big Sky champion in the NCAA tournament a 15 or a 16 seed, and they're going up against one's the elite. So you know maybe if you have uh, – 
oh, I don't know, let's say, uh, let's say uh, Appalachian State wins the Sun Belt. Well, maybe that's a bad example because Appalachian State's a pretty good team. Let's say they get upset by Louisiana Lafayette, which will be the weakest team playing in a conference championship game. You make them the number 16 seed in the first round of the playoffs. They go up against number one seeded Alabama. So you end up whittling the field that way. But inevitably, as is almost always the case, and maybe it's not as extreme as what we saw Maryland-Baltimore County do against Virginia last year, you won't have a one versus 16 upset. But you might have a three versus, uh, you know, a 14 upset. You might have, you know, one of the weak, maybe the Pac-10 representative might be especially weak and they could end up losing to, uh, let's say, a, 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 a Central Florida, for example, who might be, you know, seated around 11 or 12. So I think that that solution would work. Uh, what we have now is nice, but as, as, I, as you pointed out and I put in the article, Howard Cosell says, tell it like it is. It's not a tournament. It's not a playoff. Well, it's not a playoff. It's a tournament, but it's an invitational because teams and conferences that deserve to be included are automatically left out based upon the structure of the playoff. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And with that, Andy, let's take a look, if you will, a little bit of a recap of what's going on at the Westgate and the Golden Nugget Contest. How did the Classic shape up last week as far as the results went, Andy? Okay, normally I start with the uh, with the gold because I only report on the consensus, uh, the consensus plays uh, in, in that contest. And uh, last week the consensus plays actually went 4-1 and one with winners on the Giants, the Patriots, the Seahawks, and the Broncos. The number four selection, the fourth most popular selection, was a lone loser, the 49ers. Uh, for the year to date now with that 4-1 record, the consensus in the Super Contest Gold is actually doing quite well. 33-22-5. That's a total of 35.5 out of a possible 60 points. That equates to a 59.2% for the 120 or so uh, entrance in that $5,000 entry fee winner-take-all contest. The leader is at 40 19 and one, that's 40 and a half out of a possible uh, 60 points. That's 67.5%, an outstanding performance in such a small and exclusive field. Interestingly enough, that uh, 40 and a half points is good enough for a one point lead over a pair of contestants who are tied at 39 and a half. And overall, entering uh, what will now be week 13, 22 are within five points of the lead. So uh, that's, uh, in other words, if you're hitting. Um, 35 and a half points, which is 59.2%, exactly, by the way, what the consensus is, uh, you're within five points of the lead. And with the 35, with um, 25 picks still remaining over the final five weeks, you have to consider at least a shot to have that winner take all within sights. Now, as far as the classic, that's the long time, uh, uh, originally the Hilton, then the LVH, and now the Westgate uh, Super Contest that's been going on. I think this is year number three. 31, I believe. I think it started in 1987. I've been involved, and I think in all but the first four of them. I started in 1991. And for the most uh, part, for the first 10 or 11 years of that contest, actually, maybe let's go a little bit further, maybe about the first 16 or 17, the entrance field ranged between 275 and maybe 500, depending upon the specific year. ESPN started covering this uh, contest in, I believe it was 2010, when I think there were 511 entrants. And ever since, that that field has grown year by year, each year by significant percentages in some of those years. In fact, between 2016 and 2017, there was a fifth, uh, excuse me, a um, 
33% increase in the field. It went from 1,800 roughly to 2,700, and they uh, topped that again this year, a little bit over 3,100 entrants. Uh, so a very uh, huge field, another million-dollar payday, a second straight million-dollar payday for the winner. This week, the top five consensus plays uh, went to just two and three. The winners were on the New England Patriots, which was the top overall play. Just under a third of all contestants in the contest uh, picked the Patriots, minus uh, minus the nine and a half against the Jets. The other winner in the contest was the second most popular selection, the New York Giants getting plus six against the Philadelphia Eagles. The three consensus losers last week were the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, the third most popular selection. They uh, uh, were favored by three in their outright loss at Denver. The Green Bay Packers getting three and a half at the Minnesota Vikings Sunday night and the fifth most popular the Carolina Panthers laying three and a half at home to Seattle. So with that two and three record for the consensus last week, the season to date record is now 32 and 28. That's 32 points out of a possible 60 or the consensus is hitting 53.3%. Better than the last few years, barely above break even, uh, but uh, just shows you how difficult handicapping the NFL is, especially for a group that large when you take a look at their top selections. When you break down the split between when the more popular side in the game was a favorite versus underdog, favorites this year are 40. When the favorite side in the game was the more popular side, those selections are 44, 51, and 5. That's 46.5 out of those 100 selections, 46.5 points. That's 46.5%. Underdogs, slightly better, but also not profitable when the underdog was the more popular side selected in the game, 49.3%, 35, 36, and 2. There have been three pick'em games in the contest. Those went 2-1 and one so far, and for the season, all 3,100-plus contestants uh, 81 correct, 88 incorrect. There have been seven pushes. That works out to a percentage of 48.0%. As far as the leaders in the Super Contest Classic are concerned, there is one leader at 45 and 15. That's 45 of 60 possible points, 75.0%, three out of four for the winner. And that is a very impressive percentage. It's also good enough to have that contestant in front by two and a half points ahead of three uh, who are tied for second at 42 and a half points overall uh the uh, uh 23 contestants are within five points or less of that leader that would require a record of 40 points or more so if you're hitting 66.7 percent you are amongst that top 23 within five of the leader overall 35 of the um uh, excuse me uh, 71 of the contestants uh, have uh, full shares right now. In other words, they are in the top 100 that get paid. Another 35 would collect partial shares as there are 35 contestants tied for paying spots 72 through 100. The bottom line of all this is that if you are hitting 63.3%, in other words, you've collected at least 35 points, you are currently in cashing position in the Super Contest Classic. The other contest that we talk about uh, each week, the Golden Nugget Contest, a combination of picking NFL sides and college sides, seven selections per week. So thus far, they've made 84 selections. We have a new leader who is at 57, 26, and 1. That's 57 and a half out of 84 
uh, possible points, 68.5%. Uh, to finish in the top 10, which is where you uh, earn money in addition to getting your entry fee back, uh, that uh, uh, record right now uh, would be a total of 11 contestants tying for the top 10 places. You get paid overall down to spot 20. If you finish 11 through 20, you get your $1,000 entry fee back. Uh, there are nine people filling out those final spots. So a total of actually only 20 people currently in cashing position uh, to be in those top 20 spots, 53 out of 84 or hitting 63.1% would have you right now in position to cash in the Golden Nugget contest. And of course, this year with a significant change in the structure and format of the contest, no longer do we have the head-to-head -head matchups to eliminate contestants one by one over the latter stage of the season. This year, all 300 plus contestants play the full 17 weeks. Andy Isco with a report of the contests that are going on from the Westgate and the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas this particular weekend. And with that, Andy, any word or what you see as far as line moves that happened from last week's send out from the Westgate to what we're seeing as current lines right now that you feel are noteworthy? Yes, Mark, there are several, including several that had omissions, and uh, normally we have an omission for a look-ahead line. Again, Jake Cornegay at the Westgate uh, Superbook puts out lines about uh, 12 days ahead of the, su of the uh, Sundays for which the majority of these games will be played. So, uh, for example, uh, this past uh, uh, this past uh, we uh, this coming week's games on Sunday, December second, those lines came out two days before Thanksgiving. Uh, for the week. 12 lines, the week 12 games were played in between these lines originally being posted and the games actually being played. So you had one set of games that enabled you to um, form some judgments. And I bring that up because it's interestingly enough, normally they won't put lines up when there are concerns about injuries. However, the game, this Thursday's game between the New Orleans Saints and Dallas Cowboys, there were no question marks other than perhaps how big of a favorite New Orleans would be. So they didn't even put up an advanced line on the New Orleans-Dallas game. There were no injury concerns that I can recall, and they wanted to just wait to see what happened, as both of these teams actually played on Thanksgiving Day, and perhaps that might be another reason why they didn't do it, is because the, the uh, advanced lines would only have uh, less than a 48-hour shelf life going up on Thursday and the game being played, uh, going up on Tuesday and the game being played on Thursday. When that game did open on Sunday night, New Orleans was a seven-point road favorite at Dallas, and uh, they uh, that game has been bet up to seven and a half. Uh, there were also several other games that had some uh, issues, normally quarterback issues, that uh, uh, did not have uh, lines uh, put up, specifically the Baltimore-Atlanta game, the Buffalo-Miami game, the Chicago Giants game, because at that point, even though it was not uh, uh, involved until Thanksgiving Day, uh, Mitchell Trubisky's injury was a concern prior to that Detroit Lions game. Uh, the Rams and Detroit was also uh, off the board, uh, and uh, the Jets and Titans. Uh, as well as the Monday night game between Washington and Philadelphia. Again, I think that was uh, uh, the Colt McCoy situation coming out of that uh, Washington injury two weeks ago. Of the games that were posted, uh, interesting one, the Indianapolis Colts at Jacksonville. The Colts last week were bettable as two-and-a-half-point road favorites after this past Sunday's action uh, where Jacksonville uh, again had a, a disappointing performance and the Indianapolis Colts continued uh, on their winning streak. Indianapolis went up a slight adjustment, a three-point road favorite, and they've been bet up to a four-point road favorite. Carolina at Tampa Bay, here's a situation where the adjustment by the lines maker was apparently not enough to sway the early betters. Last week, Carolina was a four-and-a-half-point uh, road favorite at Tampa Bay. Of course, Carolina lost at home, unable to protect a late lead against Seattle, and Tampa Bay was a 
pretty much a wire-to-wire winner at home over San Francisco. So instead of the four-and-a-half that they opened it last week, when the line came up again Sunday afternoon, Tampa Bay, uh, excuse me, Carolina was a four-point road favorite. They've The early action came in and bet that down even further to three-and-a-half, so perhaps we might even see this game drop to three. Cleveland at Houston, of course, Cleveland with their impressive win at Cincinnati. Now, this was prior to Monday night's game uh, before Houston, when I get to that in a moment, but last week, before this, these two games were played, Houston was a seven-point home favorite against the Cleveland Browns. When the game, when Cleveland's game was over on Sunday and they posted the advance line, Houston was down to a four-and-a-half-point home favorite over Cleveland. That line was bet down to a four-point favorite. The game came off the board as Houston... And Cleveland, as, as Houston uh, was entertaining Tennessee on Monday night, I don't know how entertained Tennessee was in that game, but nonetheless, when the game came back on the boards Tuesday morning, instead of the instead of Houston being a four-point home favorite before they played Monday night, they were adjusted up to a six-point home favorite based upon that performance against Tennessee. That line was bet down slightly to five and a half. Uh, perhaps the biggest line move uh, or the biggest line adjustment this week occurred due to the injury of Andy Dalton in Cincinnati perhaps combined with both the play of the Bengals in their loss at home to Cleveland and Denver's second consecutive upset after having upset the Chargers the week before upsetting Pittsburgh on Sunday. Uh, Prior to last weekend's action, Cincinnati was actually a two and a half point home favorite, two and a half minus 120 actually. When the results of Sunday, including the injury, uh, were announced, the Denver Broncos were installed Sunday afternoon as three-and-a-half-point road favorites. That's a full six-point adjustment. Somewhat understandable. Usually uh, elite quarterbacks or certainly second, second-tier second quarterbacks. I put uh, Dalton in that in-between second and third category. Usually call for about a four-point adjustment. Of course, with the injury, that's an additional two points. So that resulted in that six-point swing from Cincinnati two-and-a-half to Denver three-and-a-half. The early betters did not think that was enough of an adjustment, and I think a lot of it had to do just with uh, the poor performance overall of Cincinnati after their 4-1 start. That line's been bet up to uh, Denver as a 5.5-point road favorite. Uh, Arizona at Green Bay, an interesting adjustment here simply because uh, both teams lost. Arizona, an uglier loss uh, in in their contest, uh, uh, the the 45-10 loss that they suffered. Uh, Green Bay, of course, played a competitive game against Minnesota, uh, but lost. Green Bay had been an 11.5-point favorite when that line came out last Tuesday. Uh, That was adjusted uh, to open on Sunday afternoon. Green Bay, a 14-point favorite. Uh, Kansas City, a 14-point road favorite last week against Oakland. And the only reason I mention that is because that's a big enough favorite to begin with based upon Kansas City coming off their bye and Oakland again uh, in another defeat at Baltimore. Kansas City actually opened up as a 15-point favorite, so they did make an adjustment. And two final ones worth mentioning, the uh, Sunday game, Minnesota at New England. The Patriots were six-point home favorites last week when the adjustment came out. And this is an interesting adjustment because the bookmaker adjusted New England upwards to a seven-point home favorite. And the early better said, no, we even think the week last, the line last week was too high. They bet it down to set from seven to five, whereas last week it was available at six. And San Francisco at Seattle. Seattle was a seven-and-a-half-point uh, favorite when this game went up about uh, a week or so ago. After Sunday's actions, there was a huge adjustment. Seattle from seven-and-a-half. They opened Sunday afternoon as a 10-point home favorite over division rival San Francisco. That line has been bet down in some places to nine-and-a-half and remains a 10 in others. Andy Isco with an overview of the adjustments that were made in Las Vegas from the send-out at the Westgate last week as opposed to what we're looking at this week. And, Victor, I know 
you've got a question you want to run by Andy on the show this week as well. You know, I'm going to pass on my question this week. And instead of uh, forward Andy a question from one of our listeners, Mark, we've got a, a podcast listener who is a very good customer of ours, John from Ontario. And John is a Mark Lawrence customer, a Playbook and Newsletter customer, a Total's Tip Sheet customer, and a religious listener to the podcast. And, of course, we thank him for that. John's question to Andy is, you know, we, we talk a lot, and, of course, we just did about the look-ahead lines. And for the average Joe out there, uh, Andy, do you know of any website or any anywhere a customer can go to view potential look-ahead lines, lines for not this weekend's games, but the following next weekend's games. Is this something that's a Las Vegas-only type situation, or do you know of any websites where a guy could view potential look-ahead lines? Well, let me answer the question this way. I'm not aware of other sports books that put up lines uh, essentially uh, 10 days to two weeks in advance of the games other than the uh, the Westgate. I'm not, I'm not aware of any other local place in Las Vegas or even throughout the state of Nevada that does that. There might be some offshore places that I'm not aware of, but uh, the ones that I've checked do not do that. I don't know of any place other than uh, than someone who might transmit the information as part of a blog or something. What right. I can do and look into uh, perhaps putting up on my website uh, the lines and uh, – I think if, if you happen to be in their distribution list, I know like a lot of the other sports book directors, et cetera, get some of those uh, uh, advanced numbers from the Westgate. I can look into providing – in fact, you know what, Mark? Uh, what I could do for, for you and Victor is I can send you those lines uh, when I get them on Tuesdays. Ah, you're talking. Thank you. There we go. All right, uh, that's it, great. It'd be, it'd be a pleasure to do it, and I think it'd also be a way that would reach uh, the, the broadest possible audience. Right, right. That's terrific, and we'll report those so, then on the podcast and to our friend. That's great. So, so, in fact, what I will do when we are done is I will send you the lines for week 14. Right. Well, thank you, John. Thank you, John, for setting all that up with Andy <laughs> and <laughs> Andy as well for uh, <laughs> for stepping up to the plate. It's really appreciated by ourselves and our listeners as well. And with that, Andy, before I let you go on the show here, you've been on a nice run here. Last week, the Buffalo Bills, 5-1-1, one, one, the last seven plays on the show. Your complimentary play on the football card on Sunday, if you will. Well, this will probably make a lot of people sick. It makes me sick almost giving it out because <laughs> it's a big favorite. But it just happens to be the right combination of, of, of matchup and situation. And I'm looking at the game between Green Bay and Arizona. Uh, Arizona they're one of the weakest offenses probably in the last 10 years. Uh, they have some very ugly numbers. We know Green Bay's got a potent offense. We also know that Green Bay is 4-6-1. and one. Their chances of making the playoffs are extremely remote, but when you have a quarterback like, like Aaron Rodgers and a manageable schedule, there's no reason they, they can't win uh, five straight games, end up 9-6-1, and one. and that time may end up actually helping them to a certain extent. That could be good enough for a wild card in the NFC, which is uh, pretty much bundled up after you get past the New Orleans and the uh, uh, be the, and the, and the LA Rams as far as the outstanding teams. You've got a number of teams right now at 6-5, and five and they're going to play each other. Uh, part of the, the situation is uh, you look at uh, – uh, let me just put it this way. The Cardinals are averaging a league low 14.1 points per game. They've scored more than 21 points just once this season. 
and that was 28 in a win over the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Normally, when you see a line this big, it's natural to look first towards the underdog. Uh, however, the underdog normally has to have either shown an ability to score points or have an outstanding defense, and Arizona uh, has neither of these uh, attributes. Uh, their defense, I just pointed out the, the deficiencies of the offense, the defense is at best respectable, but it's unbalanced as they rank number 30 against the run and number four against the pass. The Packers obviously have been disappointing, and we know they have the capability to explode. Aaron Rodgers has shown that uh, many times this year. Uh, We've seen Arizona already lose three games by more than 30 points this season, two of which came on the road. Uh, Now, in their last home game, Green Bay covered as a 13-point favorite in a 31-12 winner over Miami. That's their lone win in their last five games. So we're looking at a team that... uh, uh, was what uh, three and three two and one I believe at that time they're now four uh, six and one. Uh, however, uh, in the four losses, those were you know, those were losses to the Rams, the Patriots, the Seahawks, and the Vikings. All likely and certainly possible if you throw Seattle in there, playoff teams, and all four were on the road. This is just their second home game since October 15th. I mentioned the last one. They blew out Miami by 19 points. I'm going to look for Green Bay to win this game by a similar margin. The situation sets up nicely. I haven't heard Aaron Rodgers say relax quite yet, but he might after this game. <laughs> Andy, Andy Isco on the Green Bay Packers in his football game for his complimentary play on the show this week. And Andy, once again, a great job on the show, as always. We're going to wish you the very best of luck this week and look forward to visiting with you next week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Victor, Mark, thanks very much. And um, off to the email and uh, look for it in about uh, 15 minutes. That sounds great. We'll look forward to that, Andy. Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas. And don't go away, guys. When we come back, we'll put the final wraps on the show. I'll share with you my awesome angle of the week and our complimentary pleasure, myself and Victor as well, when we're back with the final segment here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as in Apple and G as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest. Only the best. Only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. From the hot South Florida sun, it's Mark Lawrence with his awesome angle of the week. All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week this week in the National Football League side of things. We call this Trips to Win Part 2. And what we're looking to do is to play in any NFL home underdog that is a perfect 3-0 straight up and against the spread. Their last three games when they're playing with revenge against an opponent coming off a win. The team in this particular role this week will be playing Thursday night. We hope you listen to this podcast before Friday, Thursday night on the Dallas Cowboys, because this awesome angle is 25-10 and 10 against the spread since 1980. That's a 71% winning angle on the Dallas Cowboys Thursday when they host the Red Hot New Orleans Saints for our awesome angle play on the show this week. 
And with that, I'm going to hand it off to Victor King from King Creole Sports to get his complimentary play on the football card this week. And Victor, if you would, also let our listeners know what you've got on tap at King Creole Sports this week as well. Sure can. But first off, I got three words for you. Stop the presses. I say that because in our NFL game of the week, Mark Lawrence is laying the points with a favorite, and that's uh, a rare situation <laughs> on the New England Patriots. And yes, not only is. that, Andy's laying the double digits with the Packers oh, as boy. his free play of the week. <laughs> Two favorites, stop the presses. Don't bury the lead. That's for sure. Okay. So with that said, guys, uh, totals tip sheet. Uh, I mentioned this back in October when we had a rough start to the season. November is historically our best month of the tip sheet. And it was. We're gunning for six straight weeks in a row now with this week's issue of the total tip sheet. It is available at the playbook.com website. November was a good month. We're sorry to see it go. We'll see if we can continue things in the month of December. And also, I know this is only the first weekend of the month of December but we've already targeted two plays for our over-under service this month. One will be our 10-star NFL game of the year. The second one will be our five-star game of the month. It goes this Sunday. It's an over-under selection. It's a game in which we're going over the total. So fasten the seatbelts. We're going over the total with our five-star game of the month during the first weekend of the month of December. That will be available at the playbook.com website on Thursday evening. And with that said, our free play of the week, we're going under the total. Of course, we mentioned we like the Vikings Patriots under. We're going under the total in another game that qualifies in that uh, system that I mentioned that went 1-15 over under. And it's the Bears and Giants under the total. Your target line, 45.5 or more in this game. Make sure it's 45.5 or more. Of course, we all know the Bears are very, very hot now, 5-0 and straight up in ATS in their last five games, and they bring the number two scoring defense into the Big Apple, allowing only 19 points per game. Taking on the Giants, I see a very similar low-scoring outcome like when they played the other New York team five weeks ago and they beat the Jets 24-10. to We're not talking fast-paced. Quick strike offenses in this one. It looks like Trubisky will be out for the second week in a row. So we're talking a giant offense that's ranked number 20 on the season. Chicago number 21. Uh, We also are talking about a series here in which the Bears and the Giants have averaged only 35.8 combined points per game in their last four meetings. And as I mentioned in that Patriots game, Chicago was a divisional road favorite last Thursday on Turkey Day against Detroit. They won. They covered. The game went under the total. Uh, once again, the stat. First off, it's gone 6-27 and 27 over under in the last five years. It's gone 1-15 in, in the last two years. And the specifics of the set, again, are, I didn't mention this in the beginning, game five or greater teams off a straight-up and ATS division road favorite win that also went under the total. It applied in that Patriots game. It applies in this game to the Chicago Bears as well, a team that's off a Thursday game that also kind of sets us up nicely in the database. 4-20 and 1 over under since 2013. 1-11 over under in the last three years. Game 5 or greater road teams playing off a Thursday road game 
when the over-under is 50 or less of points. That applies to the Bears game as well. We're going under the total. Bears-Giants for your free play of the week. Make sure your target over-under line is 45.5 or more. And don't forget to check out the Playbook.com website. As of Thursday evening, our five-star NFL game of the month going over the total. We're hoping for a shootout. Looking for the best. Should be a fun game to watch. And uh, what do you got uh, as far as your free play, Mark? Well, my free play, Victor, before I get to my free play here, I want to mention this, that uh, we're running on our playbook website. We're calling it Cyber Week this week. And what we're doing is it's a great way way to introduce you to the playbook tokens. And during Cyber Week here, anybody that buys playbook tokens will receive a 100% match. That's simply put that if you buy 10 tokens, you're going to get 10 additional free tokens. You buy 100, you'll get 100. You buy 500, you'll get 500. It's going to be limited this week only on our Cyber Week Playbook token special offer. Check it out online at playbook.com. I also want to mention here that throughout the course of the season here, I've been mentioning or we've been hearing about the sportsdata.com university and uh, we have, uh, in the, during the course of the season here, we have been running us into some programming difficulties and technicalities, and the Sports Data University is not yet up in full operation. So please be patient with us. It will be coming here. We're working on that right now, but when it does come up, you're going to drop your jaws when, the, when you check out the information that you'll be available to learn online at Sports Data University at sportsdata.com. And when it happens... You'll be the first to know. We'll mention it here on the Against the Spread podcast. Likewise, along with Victor's big five-star game of the month over total play he's got going on Sunday, it's my college football conference championship play of the year going this Saturday as well. We documented 6-0 and on our last six college conference championship game of the year plays. It's part of another $99 football weekend of winners. Make plans to join me for this big, huge weekend highlighted with the College Football Conference Championship Play of the Year online at playbook.com, or you can always call toll-free to get on board for fast, friendly customer service at 1-800-321-7777. And with that, let's get to my complimentary play on the football card this week. Inside of a College Football Conference Championship game, we're going to look at the AAC matchup between Memphis and Central Florida this week. I talked about Mike Norvell being one of these head coaches that I think is deserving to be a Power 5 coach. He's the head coach at Memphis here. In his two games against Central Florida last year and this year, he closed out the season last year, and he lost 55, 62-55 in a shootout against Central Florida that sent Central Florida, made them the division champions instead of Memphis here. In that game, Memphis put up 753 yards of offense on Central Florida, but yet still lost the football game. They met earlier this year. It was a 31-30 win by Central Florida, and in that game again, Memphis outsteaded or outgained Central Florida in the football contest here. This is also a football team here in Memphis that comes in here 7-2 and two to the spread as conference dogs when playing with revenge. You've got Central Florida coming in here undefeated, but without their star quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, who broke his leg and is out for the season. His backup is Daryl Mack Jr., who struggled in relief of Milton in two times thus far he's played this football season here. The final note on this game is undefeated teams that are playing in conference championship games, as Central Florida is, they're just 1-7 against the spread when coming off a double-digit point spread win. You put it all together here, Central Florida, without their best football player on the field this week, 
Memphis with this great head coach with double revenge on his mind. I'll take the points with Memphis for my complimentary play in the AAC championship game on Saturday. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, our good friend Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, as he always does. And until next week, for our good friend Jack Reynolds that we know is listening from above, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.